friends, to the show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. Come inside. Right now. You are listening to Let's Talk Hemp and the 422. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. You are listening to Let's Talk Hemp in the 422, Season 3, Episode 2. I am your co-host, Morris Beagle, here with my partner in hemp spirit, Rick Trojan. What is happening, Mr. Trojan? What's happening, buddy? Quarantine out. Sitting in the basement. (laughs) Actually, it's been nice. I've been able to get outside and go for walks around the, the canal out here, and it's been beautiful here in Colorado, so... We're not under full-on lockdown yet, but I think sounds like that's coming. How's things looking up up north, Colorado? Beautiful out here, actually. Unfortunately, I've been spending too much time in the basement because I've been having to scramble on no-co stuff and getting things squared away with the show not happening last weekend for us and working on the virtual conference. But when I do make it outside, and I have been making it outside some, we went up to Horsetooth a couple of times and... Went out in the backyard quite a bit and walked around and did some earthing. And we've got a rabbit back there whose name is Peter. And me and Peter have conversations on a fairly regular basis. So I'm getting some outside time. Solid. And you know you're sane when you start talking to animals. So I think you're like you're like the new age Dr. Doolittle, the QT Dr. Doolittle. I love it. Well, since we're having to uh, basically self-quarantine and look inside, I guess I might as well be outside a little bit and talking to the animals and walking on the grass and trying to take this time to reflect a little bit. Yeah. And I think really that's people are learning. There's a couple of ways you can approach this time, but meditating or um, working out, getting out in nature, right? Sometime just some quiet time, even off the internet and off the television, I think is starting to get valued. So I think that's great. But uh, what is difficult though, and I think we're going to talk with Ola about this here in a little bit, the trade show, the whole trade show and the moving to a lot of the shows postponed and moved to the fall. A lot of shows are trying to go online, do a combination. I mean, we thought this thing was going to be done end of April or early April. Now they're saying it might be a month or two or even more. So it's interesting to see how the trade shows are responding, but you guys are doing some cool stuff. The virtual expo. How's that coming along? Coming along good. We've figured out a platform we're going to use and we're going to have a couple of different programming areas. One with a a live portion of it, as well as some on-demand content and other kind of on-demand library that will have specific deep dive stuff and some old no-coast footage from the archives. So there will be some cool programming areas, and we're going to have multiple exposition halls and some kind of lounge breakout networking areas. It's going to be pretty cool. It's been uh, interesting trying to figure out this new platform the last several weeks, but we've actually got some cool stuff dialed in and we got to do what we got to do. People still have to gather and and work together and do business and learn. So we're excited to build out a new ecosystem in the cloud. Yeah, no, I think it's super important for people to still be able to congregate, right? Even if it's not physically. You know, it is challenging though, as you can see, as I'm sure you can tell now watching YouTube or online, the Daily Show and some of these Colbert reports, some of those are it's very rudimentary, right? Very basic on their production because it's just so difficult to produce 
in this time with the technical issues, right? But also across across the country with different people at different times. So appreciate the audience being welcoming towards accepting those challenges as we continue to move forward during Corona. Well, I find that it's good to see that because of the way that we've been producing our shows over the last couple of years. Now, as we've improved some of our production quality, all the really good production that's out there is dropping back down to kind of where we're at. So the field is getting leveled a little bit. It makes us look better. Yes. Next thing you know, watch out Trevor Noah and Steve Colbert. We're about to take over in the ranking. That's now right. It's an even playing field and we're bringing hemp to everyone's attention. So step aside, boys. Step aside. Straight out of the garage. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got uh, Ola coming up here from Barleen's. She's going to be a fantastic guest and she uh, has some awesome stuff to tell us about how Barleen's was one of the first large companies to get into the CBD game. Uh, in, I think 2018, and how the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, which she is now president of, is doing good things and focusing on uh, moving the industry forward. Agreed. It's a pleasure to get Ola Lassard on the show here, and we'll have her coming up next. All of us from the WAFPA family of brands in the Hemp Road Trip would like to send positive energy to our fellow humans and many other inhabitants of Earth as we start the shift to a heightened consciousness in caring for the planet and each other better than we have in the past. Welcome back to Let's Talk Hemp in the 422. We are here with Season 3, Episode 2, and we have Ola Lassard, VP of Marketing and Communications at Barleen's and also the president of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable. Welcome to the show, Ola. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So, why don't you uh, why don't you start off and tell our audience a little bit about Barleen's, their history, and how long you've been there, and what exactly you do? Yeah, sure. So, Barleen's is, I guess, probably considered like a legacy company in the natural products industry. We started off as a flax oil company, and probably best known for healthy oils and supplements. But you know, a lot of omega three fatty acids. We make, you know, flax oil, we make fish oil, we make really, really yummy fish oil, believe it or not, like fish oil the kids actually ask for, you know, and then we have just sort of different nutritional oils, borage, evening primrose, and so, you know, and obviously now CBD hemp oil. And again, we're a family-owned company. We've been around for 30 years this year. Barlene's family still owns and operates the business, and um, I joined them about four and a half years ago in 2015. And, um, you know, I've come on as, as, the, as you said, the, the vice president of, of marketing communication. So my job is to kind of just get the, the word out about the products we make and help educate people about them and about what's in them and, you know, kind of connect people out there with, with this company if they're not familiar with us. Awesome. When and why did Barleen's decide to make the leap into the CD products market really before anybody else in the whole traditional natural products industry? Yeah, I think we really were the first sort of larger company, particularly that was coming out of really the supplement and sort of nutritional space, as opposed to coming up as a cannabis or a CBD company. So we we'd actually talked about CBD as a as a potential product for several years before we jumped in, and we jumped in. We launched our first CBD product at Expo West, which is in March of 2000. 18. So a couple years ago. And um, it was something internally we had talked about for a while, for several years. We had a lot of staff members that were 
really pro-cannabis, pro-CBD. Washington is, of course, a legal state for recreational marijuana. So that was just something, you know, that people are maybe a little bit more tuned into here. So, you know, we had a lot of people kind of saying like, hey, CBD is, you know, another nutritional oil and we should really be looking at that. You know, the Barling family is is a little bit more conservative of a family. And so I think, you know, while we talked about it internally, you know, the family always has to be comfortable with a couple things about any new product that we jump into. Number one, they have to know that it's safe. You know, it has to be something that they feel is going to be safe for people to take and use. Um, the family also always wants to make sure, like, we don't really believe in putting out a product that doesn't have value. You know, if it's if it's just kind of the latest trend or something, that's not necessarily something the Barlings is going to jump into, where we've always been known for sort of quality and trustworthiness and and our reputation is really what carries this company. And so the Barling family will always look at something and say, like, does this actually make a difference in people's nutrition and lives? Is this beneficial to people as a nutritional supplement? Or is this just kind of a trendy thing? So I think that was a big piece of looking at CBD. There was a lot of talk about it, but as a company and as a Barling family, there just we didn't know enough to really know that it was really there. And I truthfully, I think what happened was, I think there was just a lot of anecdotal evidence that sort of started to pile up. And as family members, you know, extended family, people at the company started kind of coming in with these stories about like, wow, CBD has really been a benefit to this person or that person. You know, at a certain point, I think the Barling family kind of was like, okay, this is the real deal. It's a real product. It's, it's really benefiting people out in the world. And so let's go for it. And so you know, people, I think on the one hand, a lot of people are like, wow, you know, Barlene's, you know, is doing CBD. That's, that's pretty wild because we are kind of known for being a little bit more conservative and always, you know, being a little bit cautious about the kind of products that we put out there. But on the other hand, you know, I think people were really excited about seeing us come into the marketplace because nobody else had kind of jumped in yet. And I remember when we came out to the, that first big trade show in March of 2018, I mean, we had so many people that came up to us and were like, We've kind of been waiting to see which of the bigger guys is going to jump in. And we are so glad it's you because I think that that brand legacy and that being a company that is so trusted by people meant something. The fact that we were coming in and doing CBD, everybody kind of knew that Barleen's would never put out a product that they didn't believe was real and knew that was safe. And so the fact that Barleen's did jump into the space actually was very welcomed by the industry because it meant something. And then, you know, a lot of people kind of came up and just sort of said, like, the fact that you guys are in is going to sort of elevate the legitimacy of all of us. And so it was a really cool welcome into a space that we received coming in and, and becoming a company making CBD products. I was there at the Expo West in 2018, and I was one of those people that came up, and that's where we actually met. And I was really excited to see Barlene's jump into the space yeah, as someone that's been in the space since the whole CBD thing started and working with all these smaller cannabis oriented, just CBD oriented companies and seeing you guys jump in and provide that legitimacy, I was excited about it. I was one of the thousands of people there that were for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that's where we met. And, you know, that was really, it was a really cool, beautiful thing too, because I think oftentimes when you have an industry that has been built on the hard work of a lot of advocates and smaller companies. And that's the case for CBD. I mean, there's no, and a lot of hemp, you know, not just CBD, but like all of these hemp products. I mean, there is an industry because of decades of work by, you know, people like you and, and, you know, all of these advocates who have been saying for a long time, like these products have value, they have nutrition, they're important. And, you know, that takes a huge amount of time over decades to often build a space that an industry can exist. And I, 
And I think often when a larger company then enters that space, kind of like, oh, thanks for creating an industry for us. Now we're going to jump in. You know, that's not usually very welcome. I mean, it's not usually something people are psyched about because, you know, larger companies have greater resources often and, and you know, and, and, and are able to do things and already have connections in, in places. And so I think that's one of the things that, you know, at least for me, recognizing how meaningful it was that people like you and, and other CBD companies. And I remember we had this one guy that came up to our booth and literally said, like, can you please thank the Barleen family for me? Because I'm starting out a CBD company now. And I think the fact that you guys are making CBD means that my company might have a chance of making it. And that was just like, that's the opposite of how it usually feels when you're a larger company entering a an industry that other people have created. So I just think for us, it was really meaningful. It was, it was, I mean, there was just this heartfelt welcome that we got that I know is not typical and really was meaningful for, for everybody there that was receiving this, you know, and, and for the family when we kind of brought these stories back. And often, so Bruce Barleen is the, the founder of the company and with his parents who are, I think, in their, their 70s or maybe even their 80s. Oh, sorry, Barb, if I made you older than you are. But so for them to get those stories, and they're often at the show, Barb Barleen was there for, for much of that show. And just to hear people say that was really cool. I mean, it was just, it was a really, it meant a lot to us. And I think we've tried to be very mindful of that in how, what our role is. For me, it's, it's always been really important. And part of the Barleen's sort of philosophy is that you treat not only, you know, your employees and your customers and consumers with, with respect and fairly, but also your competitors and, you know, everybody up and down the chain, including your competitors are people that we believe in. You always treat with respect. So I think for me, I've always tried to be very mindful to acknowledge that, you know, we didn't, we didn't start this industry. We were just very fortunate that people had worked really hard for, frankly, decades to create an industry that we've now been able to enter and, and be part of. So it's pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And it's, it's great to see how people are a lot more collaborative, I think, in this industry than other industries that I've worked in. On the CBD side and on the fiber and grain side as well, but particularly on the cannabinoid side. But speaking of, of the impacts that you've had and Barlington's had in the industry, you were just named the president of the U.S. Hemp Roundtable. Congratulations. Thank you. And can you tell us why Barlington's joined the U.S. Hemp Roundtable? Like, what was the original? Because you guys joined two years ago, right? When it was just formed. Mm-hmm. What was kind of the impetus to get you guys joined with that, with that group? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, an organization that was formed by three or four or five companies sitting around somebody's dining room table you know, a few years and slowly kind of built it up. And we were fairly early to join, but it was in existence before us for sure. Yeah, I mean, we just felt like it was really important to be, again, be part of the industry, to understand what was happening in the industry, and make sure that we were playing a, a role that we could be beneficial and contribute to an industry. Again, we're, we're really mindful that this is not an industry that we built, that we, we were sort of benefiting from the hard work of other people. So we really wanted to take that opportunity to kind of really immerse ourselves in the industry, kind of see where we could be part of it and gather around the table with all the other people who really were so smart and so had so much more knowledge about these products, frankly, than than we did when we first joined. And so that was just an area that we knew that we could kind of get some great information. And obviously, there's a huge benefit to companies like ours. I mean, the U.S. Hemp Roundtable is really kind of the voice of, of the industry in terms of sort of what's happening legislatively. And obviously, when we joined, and even still today, there's a lot of sort of murkiness around what's legal, what's okay, you know, what is the FDA saying is all right to to sell. You know, we passed the farm bill and it seemed like everything was going to be really clear, but then states are really nervous and you've got 
state health department people making statements that then all the retailers think is the law. And so it's just, there's just all this really big confusion around particular CBD. And so the U.S. Health Roundtable is really kind of the knowledge center for that legislative side of the business. And we wanted to make sure that we knew what we were doing and that we were sort of dealing with the people who really were on the front lines of initiating change on the legislative level and, and kind of pushing things through, making sure that we were knew what was coming down the pike. So from a business standpoint, it was a very smart business decision for us to do that. But we've also tried to really find ways that we were contributing as, as part of our role there. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a great experience for us, for sure. Yeah, and they've been fantastic on the legislative side and helping push the agenda and, and talking about the FDA and keeping people informed. So I think it's been great having them out there and, and working for the for the industry. What are some of the main agenda items that you guys have for the roundtable now that you're president for this year and next year? You know, I guess I'll say sadly, a lot of the same agenda items that we had last year, <laughs> um, <laughs> just because, you know, we are still waiting for clarity from the FDA. And I think you're going to see us continuing to push for we're saying as an industry, we're saying to the FDA, please do regulate us, regulate us fairly and appropriately. But by all means, let's get this regulation of, of this product out there because we know that without clear legislation, without clear regulatory language about like, this is exactly what's okay and what's not. When you don't have that clarity, then you, you open the door for a lot of, of, of sort of bad actors in the industry. We know that there are companies out there that are not making safe products. We know that there are companies out there that are making label claims and what's in the bottle is not equal to what they say. It has not as much CBD or it has too much teach. I mean, those products are out there. There's no question about it. And every time there's a news story that talks about roundups of products and they tested them and they weren't what they said, unfortunately, those folks kind of, they're going to get the headlines, right? So there are also simultaneously a tremendous number of companies that are doing everything right. We are doing the third-party testing. We have the quality controls. We do GMP, you know, manufacturing processes. We make things correctly. We label things correctly. So there are a lot of good companies. Barlene is one of them, but there are countless other companies that are really putting out incredibly high-quality, safe, great products. And when you have a situation without clear guidance or regulation from the government, it just opens the door that it's it's harder for the good companies who are doing the right thing. And, and it's harder to get rid of the guys who aren't. So we are going to be continuing to federal government and at the FDA specifically to please get clarity around the issue of whether CBD is or not. So this is our big sort of that's the big one, because most often while states can create their own legislation and it can be more stringent, most states are looking to the federal government for that guidance. So I really think that when we can clarify from the FDA, when we can get clarity from them, then I think a lot of continue to have issues, well, those will kind of take care of themselves for the most part. So I will say also, we also work on the state level. So we have individual states that have passed legislation. It's a real patchwork. We have states that have great legislation. We have some states that do not. One of the things that people go to the U.S. Hemp Roundtable's website is hempsupporter.com. And you can go on there and they have something called the State Action Center. And you can go on there and you can click on any state and you can kind of see what's happening legislatively in that state whether we sort of are sort of working with that state. So we've been working with a lot of state legislators to try to craft language that 
is better, is beneficial to the hemp industry, is beneficial to hemp farmers, and on the state level, trying to get better legislation all around so that people can grow hemp, that they can make hemp products that are safe and, and legal, and that they can sell them. And, you know, and we have so many independent health food stores that CBD and hemp-derived products have been a huge benefit to these little stores. But with the lack of clarity, whether it's on the state or the federal level, it's really hard on these little stores to make it. I mean, they're, they're afraid of somebody coming and seizing product off their shelf. That's just not something that small businesses can weather. So we really need to get that clarity on both the federal and the state level to, to make sure that farmers can feel comfortable growing, that they know they're going to have someone to sell their crops to, that independent health food stores you know, or online, but a lot of the little guys especially, that they know that there's clarity in what they can sell. Until the federal government takes a stand and we get that clear legislation from the FDA, most of the big retailers are not comfortable selling CBD. And so the problem we've had is we had with the farm bill, farmers suddenly could get crop insurance, they could get loans. They were like, all right, sweet, this is going to open up. Let's start growing this. Like we have a finally a wonderful, amazing crop. It doesn't require all these chemicals and pesticides. It's, there's product, there's demand for the products that they can make with hemp. I mean, it's just this phenomenal crop. It's been a huge boon to American farmers, except then that we didn't see that legislation from the FDA and it's really hit our farmers hard. So all of those things on the state and local level are really important to us because there's just this snowball effect that ends up crushing our farmers and our in smaller businesses when we don't have this clarity. So with that, that kind of leads into this last question. Obviously, we, we need clarity from the FDA to, to really move that CBD and cannabinoid side of things forward. And now with the COVID-19 coronavirus situation that's going to have both short-term and long-term effects on the industry, how do you see this with delaying the FDA? Because now the FDA is focused on all this COVID-19 medication stuff to get to market early and vaccine stuff. Do you think it's going to impede the FDA from clarifying CBD this year? Wow. I mean, I wish I had a crystal ball, Morris. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously, COVID-19 is life and death stuff. That's where their focus goes. I get it. That's really important. I can only hope that we have different people working on different issues. I actually, for a time in my life, lived in D.C. and worked for a federal agency. And usually there's kind of departmentalization with different things. So I'm really hopeful that folks that are working on this important topic will maybe still have the ability to do that while other people are working on this other really important topic that we have in front of us. I am hopeful that we have people that can be pushing through all this really important COVID-19 stuff but that we still have people that are looking at this because, again, there is a massive financial impact to farmers and small businesses, manufacturing in the U.S. I mean, there's just there's a big economic opportunity here with hemp. And I really do hope that we can continue to look at that and recognize that as we get past this COVID thing, we want to get everybody back to work wherever they are and make sure people have opportunities and jobs. And I think hemp, again, has, has a role that we can play in sort of being part of that recovery that's going to be required for us after this is all done. I don't know if it'll delay it. I hope not. We're going to continue to, to work on it. We actually just started a campaign called It's Work From Home, Work For Hemp <laughs> Wednesdays. So we're, we're sort of doing a thing where we're encouraging people like, you know, a lot of people are at home or working from home or doing stuff. Just saying like part of that routine, if you still want to be part of really trying to push hemp forward, like we're going to try to give people some tools. This is a brand new campaign we're kicking off. Just saying there are things you can do on the individual level to keep kind of trying to push things forward. And, and whether we have a little bit of a delay, then we're just that much further ready we go forward or whether there's still I think there's still a lot of people working on stuff other than COVID-19. So if those of us that want to do our part to keep kind of pushing forward 
on hemp legislation on a state or, or, or federal level, we're going to try to give people tools to make that easier, help them have ways to more easily contact the, their legislators or decision makers in the community. And again, that's something people can just sign up for the, the Hemp Roundtable Hemp Supporter Blast. So just go to hempsupporter.com and you'll see something to encourage you to sign up to become a hemp supporter. Totally free. And then they can just, when there are sort of action alerts or things that are happening legislatively that they think hemp supporters will be interested in and, and potentially want to take action on, you'll kind of just get that information. It's a great way to just stay informed on what's happening in the industry, whether federally or on a state level, and just kind of get that thing and be like, okay, yeah, you know what? I would like to send an email to that person and click. They really make it easy. So it's something we're hoping to do so that all of us can kind of keep pushing the ball forward. Maybe it's a little slower, but we'll, we're not going to stop. So yeah, well, I agree with all that you said, and I think all of us are going to be playing an important role in this space to keep things moving forward so things don't just pause. And the Hemp Roundtable has done a excellent job with communication over the last couple of years, sending out blasts when necessary for state things and federal things, and, and just really providing information to the industry. So great job on that to the Roundtable folks. Yeah, thank you. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a great group of people. I mean, there are just really some, some sharp minds. And yeah, it's a pretty impressive group of folks and companies that are involved. And I guess the other thing that is really interesting to me about the U.S. Hemp Roundtable is just I have never been part of an industry group that has such true camaraderie among people who are actually competitors. So most of us in that organization, and certainly most of us that sit on the board, we're essentially we're competitors in this industry. But I have never, again, seen people who just have each other's back so much. There's just very free um, sharing of information and knowledge. And we had some issues last year with this sort of CBD scorecard thing that came out. And companies just came to the support of one another instead of sort of taking advantage like, oh, that guy just, they're down. So, you know, great for me. It was just the opposite. I mean, it was really this tremendous effort. And it's just, it's very impressive how the companies and people that are part of that organization, we genuinely like and respect and care for one another. We're a very friendly competition. I hope that always continues. It's almost indicative of the um, days when like the internet was coming out, right? And AOL and Prodigy and, and all those were competitors, Yahoo, all competitors, but also had to build the industry together and set yeah. the standards and those sorts of things. So it, it is a great organization and it's a great, you're right. I mean, all the, you know, they meet quarterly and all those events are fantastic and a lot of progress has been done uh, with the roundtable over the past few years. So thank you very much for, uh, for taking the reins as president. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, it, it's cool. I mean, and I just want to, you know, shout out to there's so many other great things happening, too. I've got like the NOCO Hemp Expo, and I'm really sad to see that because of COVID getting, I don't know, if it just postponed, I'm hoping. But, you know, there's just a lot of really cool stuff happening in the industry. So I, I really encourage people, you know, to, to really get involved in whatever way they can and be part of those events that are happening by variety of different organizations. There's just so much great education out there. So we're kind of on that legislative end, but there's just so much more that's happening. And, and, and I think there are just a lot of opportunities for people to learn and be part of this industry, whether it's through the U.S. Hemp Roundtable or some of the stuff that, that you're doing, Morris, you know, your events and activities and just other organizations. There's just a ton of stuff happening. It's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, a lot of stuff going on in the industry all over the place. And I don't think that anything's going to shut down the momentum all the way for this movement, for this revolution. Not even. Not even the COVID. <laughs> it's the, it's the beauty of recording a hodgepodge of fantastic <laughs> ways of good editors like Morris. <laughs> Not even. We can just insert Not whatever even. we want there. <laughs> This is never going to end. It's never going to end. Not even if. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I'm never going to stop talking unless. uh, 
Uh, shoot, what just happened? <laughs> oh, I think he's on mute. Hopefully we're recording her. I don't know. So, it's, it's, at this point, it's like COVID has been so permeated all my thought. I'm just like, oh, okay, well, just whatever. We're Hello? just going to deal with it. It's a new thing. Oh, there we go. Welcome back uh, to the me? show that never ends. You can hear me now. We I can, can hear you yeah. now. Okay, I finished well, your sentence should... for you, by the way. Oh, good. Well, hey, why don't we go to those last four questions and we'll get this thing done with and I'll piece this together the best that we can. Okay. It'll be fine. Oh, yeah, I'm not some of that. Some of that's actually usable. It's actually probably usable. Just it shows the, the, the joy that comes with the challenge of recording a podcast. It's not just authenticity. Call. You can't yes, yeah. totally. pay for this stuff. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, so here, these are just the standard four questions we ask, and we'll just ask them one at a time. Um, and just they're kind of short kind of answers for what uh, we ask all of our guests, right? So we'll put them all together at the end of the year with like a lightning round and all that sort of Yeah, kind of like that. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Don't have to answer in the form of a question. You can just answer. It's good. <laughs> all right, Mo, you ready? We're still recording? Well, you're going to ask the first one, right? Yep. We're still recording. We're good. Yeah, I, I, I hope it's All still right. recording I'm upstairs. Oh. That thing's supposed to record until I hang up on it down there. So hopefully it is. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to have She's doing laundry. <laughs> yeah, right. Totally. totally. All right. All right. Here we go. Ola, what are you most thankful for in the hemp industry? I am absolutely most thankful for just the tremendous advocacy that happened for decades. I'm actually a, a handmade paper maker and <laughs> handmade paper makers have been advocating for hemp forever. But no, I mean, there's just been so many people that have pushed so hard to make this a viable industry. And truthfully, I'm thankful for those folks. I mean, the rest of us are bearing the fruit of that hard work. But yeah, a lot of cool people and a lot of hard work has gone into making this, this a reality for us. Awesome. We're going to have to talk about hemp paper sometime. That's a conversation for another another time. All right. Next question. What is the largest challenge facing the industry today? There is no question that right now the largest challenge facing the hemp industry is clarity from the FDA around CBD. So we know that this story does not end with CBD, and it certainly didn't start with CBD, but CBD is sort of the economic driver right now in this industry. And if we can get clarity around that and open that up, it's going to create a path where all the other innovation can take place. So. To me, that is the big thing. We've got to get wrapped up, and, and then I think it's going to be incredible to see where this whole industry goes. Hola, what is your favorite hemp product? Well, I'm secretly coveting one of these hemp guitars that I've heard about. But, <laughs> um, <Good call. laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah, I keep telling Morris, I'm going to have to buy one of these for my husband someday. You know, I, there's so many great products out there. I mean, I do, I really do appreciate and enjoy taking CBD. I think it's been a really important product, but I got to say, I have some amazing hemp t-shirts that are just so soft and great. So I don't know. And again, like I said, it's, it's a phenomenal fiber to make paper out of. I, I don't, I don't know that I can really choose. I don't want to choose. <laughs> Last question. What are your thoughts on Let's Talk Hemp in the 422? I just really appreciate that shows like Let's Talk Hemp are what builds the community of an industry. They are so important. It is so important for us to understand that there are so many different parts of this industry. And that is what I love about this show. Awesome. I think that that's it. And we certainly appreciate you sharing your time with us and fighting through the challenges of technology <laughs> during quarantine. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, no, not at all. This is like I said, this is most of my calls have some little glitchy challenge that we're working through. So it's totally cool with me. Um, yeah, thanks I for just, having me, guys. I really, really appreciate it. 
Yeah, I'm super excited you got to come on and share uh, your insights with us and appreciate all you're doing with the roundtable and everything. So yeah, thank well, you for the uh, time. We'll all keep getting yeah. there together. For sure. Sounds good. All right. Appreciate Stay healthy, y'all. Thanks. Have a good yeah, night. You okay. safe. And we're back. Wow, that was a great conversation with Ola. Yeah, look at us all technical with segments and stuff. I love it. She was fantastic, man. She's been, uh, Barleen's has done such a great thing for the industry. Well, those guys are a legacy brand from the natural products market. They've been around for 30 years and well-established, well-respected, and coming into the space when it was really dominated by bigger companies that just came from the space, whether that's CW Hemp or the CV Sciences, Bluebird Botanicals, these type of companies that really just emerged from the cannabis space. And you have this company that's come from the natural product space and jumped in and, and then jumped into the round table and very appreciative of the space and the work that's been done here for not only the last five or six years, but really the last 20, 30, 40 years, those that have come before us and they're appreciative of, of the efforts that have been put out there and the sacrifices that have been made to get the industry to where it's at today. Yeah. And I think that's very, uh, that says a lot about uh, her and about Barleen's is that you know, there are a lot of people that sacrificed and going to jail. I mean, a lot of them are our friends now, but being thrown in jail the last three decades and, you know, it's, it's just, they've got us to where now we're able to have an economy, right? And make some money and make some products and then and actually have, have this plant in the ground. So huge shout out to all those folks uh, along with Ola. I think that's great that they recognize that and, and that we recognize that as well. Also, what I think struck me is that she made a good point. And I think this is true for the most part. Most of the people in the hemp industry are, are all, we've been fighting been advocating for the same thing for so long that now that it's legal and we're growing businesses, we're developing the industry together, even though we're competitors or potential competitors, right? It's all the same product, but we have cooperation and collaboration and helping set standards and grow the industry and change laws. And there's areas that are still misguided. So I think it is unique for, for the hemp industry in, in that regard. And, and I hope it continues. I agree. For the vast majority, people do want to work together. And even if there are differences, people can come to the table and have mutual respect and have adult-like discussions about how we create this industry together. So we all have something to, to build a future upon. It's everybody can participate. Everybody just has to be big enough to sit down together and have those conversations and be pro. Yeah, and put the egos aside and collaborate. I think that's what the name of the game is moving forward. we got a lot of work to do, and we don't need to duplicate efforts, and we need to do it strategically, so let's do it together. In that regard, I do want to mention that Frost Brown Todd and the USM Brown Table is having a uh, webinar, CBD Future Regulatory Pathways in the U.S. on Thursday, April 30th from 2 to 3 Eastern, and you can go to hempsupporter.com to find information about that. And also... You'll find information at hempsupporter.com about the new work from home, work for hemp program that they're doing. And I think that's every Wednesday. Get the industry together doing the same intention type work on Wednesdays right from home. And Morris, we're already part of that program. We didn't register yet, but we're already part of that program, not because we're both on the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, but also Let's Talk Hemp on the 422 drops on Wednesday. So we are working from home and working for hemp already. And you know what? I think I've pretty much expanded that work from home, work for hemp concept to seven days a week. 
Yeah, I don't I don't even know what days what are. I'm glad other people with calendars can take care of dropping the episodes and all that because it's just every day is get up and work and do the thing. I don't know what day it is. It's here's what today is. Today is a beautiful day. Today is Earth Day because every day is Earth Day. That's a four two two. That was a trick question and you got me. I should have got that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's move on. You're gonna get uh Hana up for the passport episode coming up next. <laughs> Hey, this is Rick Trojan with Let's Talk Hemp and the 422 here at the Hemp CBD Expo in Birmingham, UK. I'm here with the amazing Hannah Deacon, uh, who worked with the Medical Cannabis Clinician Society, uh, whose son, Alfie Dingley, who's eight years old now, is the only person in the United Kingdom that has an NHS prescription for cannabis. So, Hannah, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So give us a little story. Uh, we've, been, we've talked a bit. You, you're a medical refugee. You had to take your family to the UK, or from the UK to uh, the Netherlands, and, and then you've now come back and got a prescription. So kind of yeah. walk us through how you, how you first decided to go from the UK to the Netherlands. How did that come about? Yeah, a bit. Hi, thank, thank you for having me. Um, basically, my little boy has very severe refractory epilepsy caused by a condition called PCDH19. It's non-inherited. There's only nine boys in the world that we were up against a medical establishment who didn't really know what to do for my son. So he had his first seizure at eight months old. He got progressively worse with age. And by the age of five, he was having up to 25 doses of intravenous methylprednisolone a month. So he was in hospital all the time, hundreds of seizures a week. It's a very, very severe, but debilitating condition. And I got to the point in 2016 where I just thought, if I leave him like this, he's going to die. And actually facing my child's death is the most frightening thing I've ever experienced in my life. Um, some people say to me, you know, how, do, how could you have taken on the government? How could you have done this? But actually, that's less frightening than facing the child's death. So I was at that point. And so I decided, actually, what do steroids do? Well, steroids suppress or modulate your immune system. So I took to Dr. Google, and I know lots of people say you mustn't do that, but actually it's what saved my son's life. I started to, to look for natural ways of treating epilepsy that didn't have the horrendous side effects of heart attack and psychosis that steroids do. And um, medical cannabis kept coming up, so I learned about it. I learned about the endocannabinoid system, about the plant. I'm definitely not an expert, but I would always say to any parent, you know, inform yourself, understand what the cannabis plant is all about, how it works, and I did that. Um, and then I spoke to my doctors about whether we could use medical cannabis. I was told about the Epidiolex trial. We tried to get Alfie on that, um, but we refused because he didn't fit uh, the criteria. For GW Pharma. Yeah. Okay. Um, so at that point, I thought, well, that's it. There's nothing else I can do other than face his death. So I decided that I needed to swim and I wasn't going to sink. So uh, in January 2017, we set up Alfie's Hope, which is um, basically our campaign. My son is Alfie, and it was our hope to use medical cannabis. We set up a petition on change.org. We had a fundraising page because I was a full-time carer earning £60 a week. My partner is a tree surgeon. You know, we didn't have lots of money. We had no savings. So we raised money. I found a pediatrician in The Hague in the Netherlands who would treat Alfie with medical cannabis. And in September 2017, we, we travelled to The Hague. We lived there for five months. And I don't like to bound around the word miracle, but it was a miracle for us because after five weeks of being on a Bedrolite product, which is high CBD, low THC product, and we got to around 150 milligrams of CBD product, he went 17 days and he didn't have a seizure. And that was 17 days that he, 
you know, wasn't in hospital. He, he he wasn't suffering. You know, he used to have to be held down and have needles put into him and loads of pharmaceuticals. And, you know, that wasn't happening to him for more than double the time that it was before. And what we noticed as well is cognitively, he just started to open his eyes, really. And he recognised, he found his sister. His sister was three at the time. It was very frightening living in Holland, just the four of us, not knowing anyone, not knowing the language. We lived in a holiday park in the middle of winter. There was no one there. I mean, it was pretty depressing. But and it was an amazing experience as well because we were actually empowered. We were doing something for our child, which before we we felt you know completely powerless to help him. So once we did the five months there and we had a really good report from our paediatric neurologist, we came back to the UK in February 2018. We took Alfie off the product, unfortunately, to stay that we weren't to move back yeah to move back so we weren't breaking the law that made him unwell and then I started a campaign with a a campaign organization called End Our Pain which are a lobby group on medical cannabis on prescription I found them through friends of friends of friends you know how it is and they said we'll help you I knew what I wanted to say I knew what I wanted to do I knew I needed to get a prescription on the NHS but I don't have access to people in Westminster I definitely don't have access to the media so they helped me do that and I had a very successful campaign started in February 2018 I think the public took us to their hearts I mean why wouldn't you it's a child with epilepsy and he needs help and we proved that cannabis works for him and in June 2018 after a bit of a fight with the government and I met the Prime Minister and I had to use that meeting against her in the end it was Theresa May at the time and you know she she offered to help but it wasn't quick enough so I went on the Radio 4 Today programme which is a programme that all ministers and MPs listen to and I just talked about that meeting and I said you know she promised to help us we've done an application to the Home Office we've worked with people you know I didn't want to I didn't want to pull a stunt I didn't want to you know push them into it I wanted to work with people because actually I've fully believe that if people don't agree with you the way you change their minds is by working with them and sitting down on the table and that's what we did but we did it for three and a half months and my son was still poorly and we were issued a license that day a schedule one license to enable our doctors to prescribe the medicine on the nhs which was a landmark moment amazing the only child to have that, the only person the only to, have, child right? to have that, yeah. And then they set up a panel which enabled some other children to access um, licenses. Well, two children through the panel. One child um, is in Northern Ireland, she now has an NHS prescription, same as Alfie, and the other child is now on a private prescription. So you, there is two NHS prescriptions one in England, one in Northern Ireland. The 1st of November, the law was changed. The Home Secretary said that there was enough evidence because the Chief Medical Officer in the UK had done a report saying there was enough evidence for medical cannabis to be available for certain conditions on the NHS so on the 1st of November he changed the scheduling from schedule one to schedule two which means that doctors can prescribe it on the NHS the problem is is that there's been very restrictive guidance that has come out since then from NICE and from the British Pediatric Neurology Association and from the Royal College of Physicians saying that actually there's no evidence to show safety or efficiency for medical cannabis and that it shouldn't be prescribed. The only product that is allowed on the NHS now is Epidiolex, which is a step forward but isn't helpful to many thousands of children. And actually, the trial results are not fantastic. I'm not saying it doesn't work for some people. It does, but a lot of the families that I work with have tried Epidiolex and it hasn't helped. They've then moved on to a full plant product like Bedrolite and they've had seizure-free days. So we need to have a choice of product in the UK. We need to have access. So at the moment, the only way to access cannabis 
um, medicinally through a private clinic in the UK, which I think is incredibly sad. Yeah, I mean, it's very short-sighted, right? I think Epidiolex, obviously, your Alfie didn't qualify for the Epidiolex trial, so I'm that it wouldn't work in this. I'm yeah, glad exactly. He didn't right? actually, because I think I found a much superior product. Agreed, agreed, <laughs> right? For sure. But you, what, what was your decision to bring the, your family from? The Netherlands back to the UK because it sounds like there were six months there where Alfie didn't have access to cannabis yeah. as a medicine. Well, it, it worked out it about three and a half months. Yeah. Okay. What What was the decision? I mean, that's a big decision to bring your we son had back. To. Right? We just had to because we had to fight our case, and we couldn't fight our case from Holland. We were running out of money. We spent thirty thousand pounds on product and living expenses in Holland because it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was a hard decision. What I did do is just give him some legal CBD, which helped. So I just used a, a legal over the counter over the counter product. Product, which okay. helped him a bit to try and ward off the seizures so it just helped him not be in hospital so much or you know he was in hospital I think it was the first month he was in hospital four times but his seizures weren't as aggressive and he wasn't needing but you just can't dose it the over-counter CBD you just don't get enough and a lot of the time it's hemp so it's just not as effective in my eyes some people might tell me different but meaning you, know, you need the THC well no but I, also I in my experience and I know some people say this isn't right, but in my experience, my son just didn't respond to hemp CBD. You know, I used it. I used Charlotte's Web. I used Haley's Hope. I used those things before I went to Holland as well because I want. I didn't want to go and live in Holland for five months, and they didn't work. And whether that's because you haven't got the array of cannabis and terpenes necessarily, I don't know. I don't know why. But yeah. but but we found the cannabis sativa. And high doses of CBD is he's responded really well with THC. Yeah, full oh, yeah. Spectrum. he has okay. got THC. Okay. Yeah. Well, what we talked about a little bit, and I think that one thing we don't, as right as a media, like accentuate is really the the PTSD and the trauma as a parent yeah. watching your child go through these seizures that the doctors don't know what it is. They're prescribing medication for something they don't understand what it yeah. is, and so you, as a parent, you're stuck in this cycle of they don't know what's happening. You have no information from them. They're prescribing drugs that are toxic and maybe stabilizing to some degree, but also toxic to the body, the human body. Let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you talked about there was a moment there where you're like, hey, I'm either going to you know, go one way or the other way, kind of a, you're at a fork in the road. Mm-hmm. Talk about that and help. I mean, because as a parent, I couldn't imagine the trauma of yeah. not knowing and watching your child go through all that. I think it's really important to talk about that because I don't think people talk about it enough. I think that having a child with epilepsy is incredibly traumatic. I've seen my child probably have thousands of seizures. I still cry if he has, you know, he does. He's, it's not a panacea. It's not a cure. He does have seizures sometimes, but he might have two every other week not hundreds every week you know this is not a cure he has a very severe epilepsy so I still have moments of great sadness you know my son has a very severe epilepsy I don't know how long he's going to live I don't know his what's going to happen in his life and he's a really happy lovely little boy and it's I have a lot of grief and I think that's why I do what I do because I feel like and without sounding too spiritual I feel like he was sent to me so I could help him and I could help others. And that's really special. And that makes something that's really quite awful into something more positive. And some days I don't feel like that. Sometimes I feel angry and I wish that he wasn't ill. But most days I feel like it's a positive. I've, I've turned into a positive thing. But, you know, I speak to families every single day and they are traumatised. They don't have enough help. They don't have enough respite. And it's something that I do try and talk about in the media as well, if I can, when we're trying to talk about prescriptions, because it's so not talked about and actually the cost on relationships you know we had our health secretary last week saying oh but cannabis companies are charging far too much for this product it's so short-sighted because socially 
these children, you know, when they're seriously ill, the relationships of parents break down all the time. The mother can't work. She can't pay her taxes because she's a full-time carer. The, the sort of long-term health care needs of that child when they become an adult will be that they'll need to be in residential care. I think it's so short-sighted to say that it's too expensive because actually if you help a child to be well, and like for me, I can work now. I go to work and I have something that's not just about my son. And, you know, this is about me doing something that I'm really passionate about and my partner can go to work and my daughter, my children can go to school. That is so important for families like ours. And I just don't think that it, it's thought about. We're not given enough care and attention that we should yeah, it comes down to that comes down to numbers often right and, and that doesn't tell the whole story right there's emotions involved there's families involved there's relationships involved Absolutely. right and, and all of that could break down when you're hit with trauma you yeah. know ptsd is a real thing all day every day like post-traumatic but as we were saying it's not post there's no post it's happening now it's, it's happening today every day right stress disorder yeah. yeah and it's horrendous i actually met a doctor who is prescribing in the uk the other day and he said that he's prescribed for this this man with autism he's 21 he's got seizures and autism his parents went out for dinner together on their own for the first time when he was put on for an extra cannabis oil. 20 in something 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Wow. And he, he, cried, he started to cry when he told me about it because he's like, gets it. He gets it. You know, he's like, that's so special and so important. And I was like, yeah, good for you. Good yeah. for you. Because and good for them for 20 years of exactly, handling that. Oh my the, goodness. That's the reality. When people, people used to say to me before, I don't know how you do it. You have no choice. If you are the parent of a child with epilepsy autism, you can't suddenly just go, do you know what, Gov? I've had enough. I don't want to do this anymore. You are responsible. That's it. The buck stops with you. You have no choice. And so it's really, really important that we we are empathetic to these families and we talk about them, we help them as much as we can. And like you say, it's not just about numbers. And at the moment, I'm afraid it is just about numbers. And that's really sad for me, really sad. And I think I think the beauty of what cannabis brings in general, like not just on the medical side, but just in general, is mm-hmm. the ability to reformat the systems. The systems are broken across the Absolutely. board. This gives us a chance if we can take advantage of it to not fit it in. It yeah. doesn't fit in the system that we have today. The systems no. are broken across the board, I as you know, you. right? Yeah, so, I agree with you. I think that I hope that there is a healthcare revolution happening now. I really do. I think that it's about, for me, when I was in hospital with my son all the time, I felt unheard. I felt that I didn't matter. I felt that my child wasn't my own and that doctors were making decisions for me without informing me that they were giving him unlicensed medicine. Never has a doctor said to me, I'm giving your child unlicensed medicine. Never. They've never told me about side effects. They've never done anything. They've just gone on with it and said, this is what we need to do. And I felt so unheard that I decided to do something about that. And I think that is happening across the board for patients and parents because we are tired of being ignored and we are going to look at ourselves holistically and say, do you know what, I want to take control. And, you know, we've had probably the last 30 years, 40 years of people living, you know, bad lifestyles and going to the doctor and having a, a drug for, you know, cholesterol. Let's just not get cholesterol. And how you do that is by lifestyle changes. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying perfect. I love chocolate. (laughs) But I'm just saying, you know, it is in our hands Mm -hmm. to make those decisions about our personal health. And I think that's what we're seeing now, especially with parents, is that we want to be informed. We want to know what our kids are having. And actually, we want to give them the best opportunities having a healthy life, uh, especially with sick children. I hope that that happens. I really do hope we see reform in the house. And I think, as we talked about before, doctors are 
are taught a certain way in the system that is current, right? Which doesn't include cannabis. I mean, we have in my movie a doctor from Harvard, forty years uh, a pediatrician, or yeah, from Harvard, and she said she didn't even know about the endocannabinoid no, system. They so don't get taught about it. Yeah, they're not taught about it. And really, so <laughs> doctors crazy. have a lot of information, a lot of knowledge, but they're only taught what they know in the realm of, of the world they know. So helping them understand about cannabis and the endocannabinoid system, right? can lead to this revolution that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think it should be doctor-led at the moment. It's patient-led. Um, I think that, as you say, doctors need to be trained in the endocannabinoid system. That's why we created the Medical Cannabis Clinician Society here in the UK, to train doctors. I know that if I say to a doctor, you must prescribe cannabis, they're not going to. What we need to do is educate people, educate the allied health workers as well. And so they make that decision because they're informed. And that's what we want to see. So, you know, I'm, I'm so passionate about education for doctors. You know, I just want them to be open-minded. I'm afraid some of the hierarchy of the medical establishment in the UK are just sort of, it's like they're putting their fingers in their ears and going, la, 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 it's not happening. Well, it is happening. And the best thing you can do is educate yourself and understand it and start prescribing than pretending it's not happening because actually all you're doing is harming the very people that you're supposed to be serving. And I've, I mean, I've been told by a doctor that I was speaking to, my son's doctor, there is a, a particular doctor who's sort of very outspoken anti-cannabis you know being available and I was talking about it and he said oh but she's a professional and I think but we're all all professionals we're all open to making mistakes we're all open to getting things wrong and that's what I worry about in the UK I think it feels like doctors are like gods I remember my dad saying that to me when my son was taken very ill first time he said just remember doctors aren't gods and it's so true they're not they're people doing a job and they get things wrong and we need to get away from that sort of very conservative, arrogant stance from doctors, I think, that we get, yeah. you know, because it, they, and actually I've met quite a lot of doctors today who aren't like that, so, you know, fair play to them. We're getting there, yeah. We're getting there, but there are, I'm afraid, some who are, just think that they know it all and they don't. It's like you're trained on an auto mechanic, but you want to take a hot air balloon or an airplane, right? It's well, a it's different true. mode of, of, of yeah. transportation, distribution, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So you, there was also an issue when you guys came back, uh, I was reading, to try to get a new strain. So after a while, let's talk about how Alfie kind of got a tolerance to, to the strain he was on and what, what strain you guys moved to. Yeah, so when we um, got our license, we reintroduced Bedrolite and Bedica, which is a THC, and he went nearly 11 months with no seizures. So we upped the dose to 300 milligrams of CBD, and he has about 12 milligrams of THC. Um, obviously, in the other minor cannabinoids and terpenes in the product, and he, yeah, he had 10 months of no seizures. And then... We started to see some breakthrough seizures, not bad, not like hundreds, not needing loads of doses of steroids, but he was probably needing a dose of steroids and a, a breakthrough of seizures. And again, um, I did a, a talk to a lot of people. I already thought that you know it wasn't a honeymoon because he had such a long time in the seizures. It's tolerance. And so I learned a lot about tolerance and what to do. The problem we have in the UK is that there is no high CBD uh, GMP certified product other than Vedralite. So I haven't been able to swap him. So what I did is I added in THCA, and that's really helped him. And we are hoping to try a new high CBD in the next few months when it will be available. I mean, it's been 18 months and there's still not many products available in the UK, which I think is really sad because, again, when the laws change, the infrastructure just isn't there. The doctors hadn't been trained. You know, I just think it was the wrong... I mean, it was great that the laws changed, but what should have happened and this should have been an interim period where we carried on with the licensing panel and doctors were educated and the infrastructure was put in and licenses were given to people to grow in the UK and things like that and then change the law and then make it available to people. 
so the sort of cart's gone before the horse in a way, in the sense that we've made the law change and actually it's taken a long, long time to make things happen. So, I mean, he is still a million times better than he was, and that's the most important thing. But, you know, it, as I say, it's not a cure. And I get days of grief still because yeah. I'm sad about that. And you still use a combination of prescription medication, right, and and cannabinoids, cannabis medication. No, it's all, pres- it's all prescription. So okay. the THCA is on prescription as well from Bedrocan. So he's on Bedrolite and okay. THCA from Bedrocan as well. So it's all prescription. Because he has an NHS yeah, prescription. Yeah, because we have a great doctor yeah. who is um, sees the benefits and prescribes for us. And, and it, the system works for us, it seems. Uh, it can't seem to work for anyone else. I don't know why. It's very sad. We're very, very lucky that we're surrounded by good people who aren't worrying about their careers all the time and worrying about their patients. <laughs> and so, I mean, the doctors should, their number one thing should be about the patients, yeah. right? And they take an oath, yeah. right? To, to, about the patients to have them, <laughs> yeah, so to put, yeah, to put their fingers in their ear and not listen to a potential yeah. cure, a potential, right? Yeah. Something to help if, remedy an I, issue. I feel very strongly that if this wasn't cannabis, they'd all be jumping over each other to prescribe it because they think it was the next miracle drug, but because it's cannabis, they don't want to know. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's so stigmatized. It's which I think sad. Is so sad. It's yeah. very sad. Yeah. yeah. As much misinformation as we've been given over 80 years, and we know it finally, right? Yeah. And to have, right? It's just people are, are ingrained in what they're ingrained in, um, I think. Amazing lady called Baroness Molly Meacher, who runs the, she's the chair of the APPG, which is all party parliamentary group, which is in the UK parliament on drugs reform. She said to me, we're undoing 60 years of propaganda. And that's going to take time. <laughs> gonna, yeah, six years to get us here. We're not going to come out of it overnight, yeah, right? But we're exactly. making progress, which I so think is good. So we just have to accept that it's going to take time. Well, uh, anything else you want to give to our listeners in the States? Of, no. uh, yeah, so I think it's so, amazing what you've you done. Thank you so much. I'm so yes. excited to be heard in America. Yes, for sure. <laughs> thank you for asking uh, me. Yes, it's awesome. So thank you very much. Again, we have Hannah Deacon and her son, Alpha Dingley, who's the only uh, patient with an NHS prescription for cannabis here in the UK. So thank you for joining us here in Birmingham. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. NOCO Hemp Expo would like to announce the NOCO Hemp Expo Earth Week Virtual Conference and Trade Show, happening online beginning on April 22nd, the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. Join dozens of hemp industry and earth advocating thought leaders sharing their insight on what lies ahead for the remainder of 2020 and moving into 2021. More information available at nocohempexpo.com. Well, we're back, and man, Rick. That was uh, quite an interesting and inspiring interview you did there with Hannah. Yeah, I mean, man, it, it's fascinating The people, I mean, we see this as a travel all over the world, right? These people have to, these parents have to become medical refugees to different countries or different states just to, just to give their child a fighting chance. I mean, this kid, poor Alfie, he's, when he's now eight, he had PCH-19, which is only 700 kids in the world have this, most of them, 600 of which are female. So it's super rare. They don't have any drugs for it, right? There's just not a big enough demographic to make a drug for it uh, that would be reasonably priced. So they had to go, literally, THCA was working on Alfie, and they had to go to Amsterdam and live there for five months just to get the, the treatment they needed for their son. And that's just, that's unacceptable. Yeah, it's crazy that people have to go through this in this life now. It shouldn't be that way. I mean, we're, we're over this. The amount of benefit that comes from cannabis, right? On the high THC and low THC side, right? It is just, it's been shown, I mean, it helps with neurological issues, it helps with respiratory issues, it helps increase your immune system, which is which is great for times like these, right? Which is great in general. But one thing that I think Hana said that I think is profound and still happens here in the States is really there's no education, there's no toolbox, there's no roadmap for 
clinicians and physician assistants and doctors to really educate themselves on what cannabis can do and allow them to make prescriptions that to help with certain issues instead of pharmaceutical they can make you know medical cannabis prescriptions so hana actually founded the medical cannabis clinician society in the uk to do that to educate doctors and nurses so that they can write prescriptions and so they can create a community that support uh, moms and dads and doctors and really doesn't chastise them or you know make them feel horrible because they are prescribing something that is not in you know our pharmaceutical medical books I get that. You know, one thing that's difficult, I guess, from the physician standpoint, where I can see their point is, you, know, you just prescribe somebody cannabis. Well, cannabis is not just all the same when you've got literally thousands of different strains with various profiles from cannabinoids to terpenes, and they interact with our bodies differently. It might interact with me different than it does you or or somebody else. So with medicine that's real consistent made in the lab and it's all exactly the same whether you're getting it in Los Angeles or Tokyo or wherever from this pharmacist because it's all put together in in real medicine it's it's a different thing we've got a long ways to go with figuring out this whole process but one thing is clear is cannabis should not be illegal and people should have the right to utilize that as medicine as something that can help with the conditions that they have. Absolutely. Like we say, cannabis trumps chaos. And so all this craziness and all this, you know, cannabis and hemp can address a lot of the issues that we have. It's the same plant. So cannabis and hemp can address a lot of the issues that we have now from a lot of different perspectives. But absolutely incredible, an incredible woman, incredible family. And it was great to meet her out at the Hemp CBD Expo in, uh, in the UK. So thank you, Hannah. Appreciate it from across the pond. Yep. Thanks for being on the show, Hannah. And with that, We'll move into uh, finishing up the show. The next show after this, we are going to be having on Earth Day on the 422. At the same time, we're going to be having our kickoff of the NOCO Hemp Expo Earth Week virtual conference and trade show. And we'll be broadcasting or webcasting live from wherever we're at on the 422. Right on. Until the next time. Once again, thanks to Ola, thanks to Hana, and we will see you guys on the other side. The best way you can support the show is to share this with your family, friends, and colleagues. Don't miss the opportunity to learn more about this podcast at letstalkhemp.com. And if you enjoyed the show, feel free to subscribe and leave us an iTunes review. Thanks for listening. See ya. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.